Hello, and welcome to the Financial Emancipation Podcast. I'm your host, Malik Branch, and this is a podcast discussing the ways in which you can walk towards your financial emancipation, getting free from the burden of your finances. Welcome back and happy October. We are in month 10 of 2019. That means we've got two, well, really three months left before. So we've got October, November, and December, and then we're into 2020. We are about to end a decade. I don't know if that means a lot to you, but for me, that's like crazy because I remember 2010 like it was yesterday. So it's time to finish up strong. It's the last quarter, you know, get down to doing what you wanted to do for 2019. But really, you know, this is about focusing on 2020. If you have Um, This is the perfect time of year to begin to plan out your financial goals for 2020. It is, you know, right now there are some things that you can clean up for 2019, but if you really want to get ahead of the game and make sure that any of the things that you want to focus on for 2020 are ready when January 1st hits, you should get started now by creating your goal list for 2020. And so remember, a goal list is not a dream wish, right? A dream list. You're not saying, oh, you know, I want to win a lottery. I want to have a million dollars, you don't, you're not saying that. You're saying, hey, in 2020, I'm going to either ask for a raise at my job um, or a promotion, or I'm gonna start looking for a new job. You say, hey, in 2020, I'm going to begin to increase the amount of money I'm saving, so I'm gonna decrease my expenditures. Um, I'm gonna cut the cable. I'm gonna, you know, do something so that I can have a little bit extra money so I can put in my savings. In 2020, I'm gonna buy a home. So I got to start or I'm going to save my my down payment for my home. So I've got to become aggressive in that way. In 2020, I'm going to increase my credit score by 150 points. So I'm going to become aggressive with dealing with my credit. Um, In 2020, I'm going to set up my estate and and get my, my will and everything together. You know, whatever these financial goals you have in 2020, I'm going to begin contributing to a college fund for my kids. Um, in 2020, I'm going to make sure that, you know, I, I save for Christmas in advance this year. In 2020, I'm going to go on a cruise, I'm going to go on a cruise or vacation and I'm going to start saving it. If you have any milestones, you know, for my friends and I, next year is a big year. Everyone's turning 40. That's a big milestone. I'm in 2020 for my 40th birthday, I'm going to do X and I'm going to save for it. This is the time. This is the time now to begin to say, look to the future, look towards 2020 and see what it is that you want and begin to take the steps by writing down. The first step is always writing down your goal and 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 beginning the process of making the plan so that you can achieve the goal. So if you're if you're interested in doing that for 2020, you know, reach out to me and DM on um, on uh, my my page, Financial Emancipation on Instagram. You know, if you're interested in that, you want to just talk through um, the difference between a goal and maybe a wish or how you can characterize a goal, how, what's the best way to kind of break a goal down and then begin to talk about how you can make that goal a reality. Hit me up. Let's talk about it. Um, it's also part of what I'd like to talk about on, um, a podcast with a guest. I mentioned to you guys, I'm going to be doing some guest podcasts. I'm, I'm almost fully solidified on the, um, podcast with, um, men with, I'm having a, a male guest to talk about, money and relationships and dating. So that's going to be exciting. Um, I'm almost solidified on that. And I'm looking for a second set of guests to discuss um, financial mistakes or things or choices you've made in the past and how you've overcome them. Um, And I'd also like to discuss just in an open forum on, on one of the podcast episodes with some guests, maybe two or three, just about what your financial goals are and, and what 
and how you go, how do you go about achieving them and kind of giving some live feedback um, to, to, to you for the podcast. So if you're interested in that, hit me up and, um, and you can be a guest on the podcast. So today's episode, I wanted to go again, uh, like, just like similar to last episode of kind of going back to some of the basics as we close out this year. Um, I intend to, you know, have some different new things for 2020, but I realize sometimes you have to go back and just kind of refresh for those people who've just started listening, for those people who have always been listening, but need a refresher. We always need a refresher. And, um, Last episode, I talked about the five ways to walk towards your financial freedom. If you haven't had a chance, check that episode out. Those five ways are just the five fundamental ways that you can walk towards your financial emancipation and how you get there. And um, and I, I talked in depth about those last last episodes, so check that out. And so today, I want to talk a little bit, a little bit about um, your financial story. Um, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, it can become we all come from somewhere when it comes to our finances and who you are, your finances are simply one part of your, uh, one part of the demonstration of your personality, the things you've been through, the things that you were taught and the ways in which you kind of came through the world. So just the same way that the relationships that you are in and the career choices you make and the decisions you make about your friends and the ways in which you engage in just all general relationships how you handle adversity and how you handle money all is in the same vein about how you were brought through this world. And so we all have a financial story and we all have a a way in which that financial story was kind of given to us because again, that's not something that you, you come up with on your own, your financial story, while there might be some aspects of your personality that are demonstrated in your, in the way you handle finances in a lot of ways, the way in which the people around you handled money, talked about money, engaged with money, used money and demonstrated money as a powerful tool. It really speaks to how you kind of take it in. And I really want to break this down because I think that, you know, there's some stuff in here that, that sometimes we don't get into in, in depth enough. You know, if you came from a space of abundance If in your household you grew up, there was always money around. Money was never a topic because it was never needed. It was never used for anything. You may have one attitude towards money, right? But if you grew up in a household where money was scarce, where someone was always telling you about being wasteful, don't be wasteful, because they always wanted to kind of beat you over your head with about how much they didn't have, how hard they were working for it, and how you needed to be appreciative of it, right? You can come out of that experience with two very different ways of thinking about money. Some people come out of that situation and become very much of a squirreler, a saver, because they resent the experience they had. They resent all of the no's, all of the what they couldn't have. And they resent, you know, the people in their lives who did that. And so therefore they decide when they have an opportunity, they're going to have more, right? But that's only one part of it because the idea that you're going to have more, right, doesn't mean that you actually learn the tools to have more. It just means you've decided through anger or resentment that you're going to work harder to have more. But if you were never provided the tools on what to do when you get more, 
you will have the same, you will carry through, even if you get more, you will carry through those same um, attitudes about money, even when you have more of it. You know, you can also come through that experience and, and replicate it. You know, believe that you never will have more. Believe that money is only for other people. Believe that, you know, uh, it just has to be this way. That there is no other way. That you must always struggle. That struggle is part of what it means to be. To have less. To always be counting every penny. <clears throat> you can come through that same experience. And two people could grow up in the same house with that same experience. Come through it in in the, in different ways. And have two totally different ways in which they handle money. All based on the same financial story. And a financial story is like any other story, right? If you're still kind of trying to go through the world and deal with your relationships and trying to figure out why you can't kind of make it work in a relationship, you always, anytime you, if you were to go to therapy or anything, they would tell you, go back, go back to the relationships you saw in your household, go back to what your parents did, go back to all the ways in which you learned how to be in relationship. And then you have to break that down, address it, deal with what all of the feelings you have about that so that as an adult, you're not demonstrating yourself as a six-year-old in a relationship. It's the same thing with money. If when you attach yourself to money, you keep going back to being the 10-year-old who couldn't have, the 15-year-old who couldn't have, you're a 30-something-year-old woman or a man, and you're still feeding the 10-year-old, the 15-year-old. You're still, you know, dealing with that person's, that 10-year-old's urges and needs and desires and making up for all the things that he or she couldn't have when she was being told no when she was young or he was young. And so therefore, you're overindulging yourself as an adult to make up for what you didn't have as a child. But just like many people say, you wouldn't let six-year-old self drive your car today. You should not let six-year-old self dictate your finances. And so the fun, the relationship you have with money goes back to all of those things in which you grow up and how you carry them through. And when you don't address that, you will see things that come up in the ways in which you handle your money now that maybe you keep hitting a roadblock. Maybe you can't understand why can't you get a savings? Why can't you stop spending? Why can't you plan for the future? Why can't you make more money? Why do you always feel broke? Why is your credit so bad? Why is it that every time you tell yourself you're going to do better, you don't? Why is it that you have all these things? You look around, you have all these clothes and shoes and bags and, 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 and video games and sneakers. But you, and, and you have this new car, but your bills are always late. And you can't hardly ever pay anything. And, and the lights are damn near always getting cut off. Why? Then you have to think back. Did you grow up in a household where the things were chaotic inside? But on the outside, y'all went outside looking good, stunting for everybody. Did that, is that how you grew up? Did you always have the freshest and the flyest, but you lived in squalor? Like these are things that matter. Or did you have the opposite? Did you not have things on the outside? Did you grow up and you didn't have the flyest and the newest and the latest? And so now you're making up for it. You're going to have it now. And no matter to what detriment you're going to have it, right? To the detriment of your, your finances now, you're going to have it. Those things carry and you got to address it. So when you're sitting here trying to figure out how to fix your credit, the first thing you got to figure out is why is your credit bad? Why'd you ever let it get there? What didn't you know? What didn't you do? What are you trying to feed? Who are you trying to impress? 
You got to know that stuff because it's playing out in your finances today. And many of us are walking around allowing someone who's six or 10 or 12 to dictate how we deal in our finances. Now we want to make up for what we didn't have. We want to make up for how we didn't think, how we don't think we got, how we don't think we were able to do. And, and being an adult gives you freedom. So you do what you want to do and you think there's no consequences, but the consequences now are so much more real than they ever were. You know, you can only do in a lot of instances what you were taught. Sometimes you were taught nothing. You just watched. You know, I talked about this this before many episodes about financial dishonesty. Many of us learn that from the people we're supposed to be learning our lessons from. We learn that from our parents. We watched our mothers and fathers lie to creditors on the phone. We watched them lie to each other about money. We watched our grandmothers give us things and tell us, don't tell your mom. We watched, you know, grandma lie to grandpa about how much the bill was so she could squirrel away a little money. We watched people lie about how much money we had and say, oh, no, nope, don't have money for that. And then you see money. Or lie and say, yeah, yeah, we can do that and go out and do something and come back home and you're eating like ramen noodles or something and you, and the, the light's about to get cut off or the phone is off. We we watch these things and and we pick them up. You know, we definitely pick them up. I know that I've said, talked about this before, but a lot of the shame that I had about money for me growing up came from what my mother put into me was that you don't want to be better. You're not better than other people. And she didn't want me to feel like having things made me feel like I was better than anyone. So that was a good, valuable lesson, right? Except it made me feel shame for anything that I did accomplish or did have. Because I didn't just take that lesson to be about resources. I took it about everything. So if I got better grades, if I went to a better, if I end up going to college, if I, if I went and got a good job, if I started to make a little bit of money, I didn't want anyone to think that I thought those things meant anything. And so I started to think they didn't mean anything, but they did mean something to me. Otherwise I wouldn't have been pursuing them. And they didn't mean something to me for me to want to be better than other people. I wanted to be the best version of myself. But I was carrying shame from this lesson that she was trying to teach me that you don't want to seem like you're better than other people. And so it just carried on. And so I would have shame about money. I never wanted to talk about money. When I started to make more money than people around me, I didn't ever want to talk about it. You know, I and, and in relationships, never want to talk about money because it's like, oh, I don't want you to think that anything about me. I want you to think I'm just like you. We're the same. This doesn't matter to me. How much money I earned doesn't matter to me. Again, these were lies. How much money I earned did matter to me, right? Because I was pushing myself to get there. So it mattered. Um, it was an accomplishment for me. In some instances, it was something I was proud of, but I had to be proud in private because I felt m- very much the shame that came with the idea that you cannot ever make people feel like you're better than them. And I think it was a lesson my mother was trying to teach me that had value, but that the way it came across and the way that it came through to me and um, the way that she was presenting it, I think it just didn't resonate all the way through the way she wanted. And it came and added something to it. And it, it, it became the how I dictated my financial relationship. Quiet. You have to be quiet about money. And, and again, it, it turned into the kind of car I would buy. I never wanted a flashy car. I never wanted a flashy color. I didn't want people to think I had anything. You know, I was very reluctant on certain things. I didn't want to have. It took me. Oh, my God. I went to buy. A, um, I was really ready to have a Neverfold Louis Vuitton bag you know, carrying stuff for work and stuff. And I remember, I mean, I did the numbers. I had gotten a bonus. I could afford it. But I was so ashamed to walk in that store because I was like, someone's going to know 
I had, I think that bag was maybe $1,400. Someone's going to know that I had $1,400 to spend on this. Now, again, this is a lot of things that were going on in my mind that probably had nothing to do. Like no one was, no one was thinking about this, right? No one's looking at me and thinking, I mean, many people walk around with a, a Louis Vuitton bag and either they had it or they didn't. And I don't think people really give that much thought to it. But to me, this bag was going to symbolize to people that I at one point have $1,400 to spend on a pocketbook. And I, I mean, I walked in that store so many times I had to call my friend. <laughs> oh gosh, I had to call my friend Selena. And like, I was like, please talk me down off this ledge. And she was being very, um, she was good. I mean, we've known each other since we were 12. So she was, she knew where I was coming from. And she kind of, she, she asked me all the right questions. Well, Malik, can you afford it? Do you have the money? Blah, 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 blah. You know, then I called my sister and she's like, if you don't just buy the bag, because again, sister and I are very different on these kind of things. She's like, if you have the money, just go in there and buy the bag. I, <clears throat> I walked in the store. I walked out. I walked back into the parking lot. I called Selena back. She, she walks me through it again. She's like, Malik, this is not a big deal. Go buy the bag. It's okay. You can afford it. Yeah, yada, yada. like this was a thing and at this point I was probably 33 years old or something like that like I was not young I was old enough to have been this should have been okay but it really was like a, a thing for me because I it was what it represented and I didn't want people to see it I didn't want anyone to think it I didn't want people around me to think that I had 1400 it was all these things so those things that you have in your in your in your financial relationships, in your financial resume, in your history, how you came to be, who you are, they're real. And they dictate and play out over and over again through how you utilize your finances, the ways in which you see money as power, the ways in which you see money as as the ways in which you advance, and the ways in which you use money, whether for positive or negative, the way you carry money over other people. And for those of you who are parents, the way you are dictating and, and monitoring and treating money as it relates to your kids now, you are building their financial resume. You are putting your imprint on them. You are building their financial relationship. And if you have not yet resolved your financial relationship, you're just dictating the one that you got onto them. So if it's a good one, that's great. If it's not so good, they're gonna go through the same things. And so the, the idea here, when we talk about financial emancipation is also getting free. When we talk about the burden, it's not just the dollars and cents. It's the heaviness. It's the weight of how you learned about money, how you learned to deal with money, how you learn to manage money and how you can unlearn some of the bad things, relearn some of the good things, reemphasize some of the good things and, and dictate a new financial relationship and be able to demonstrate that for your children. And for those people coming up underneath you. So it's really and truly important. I mean, I think that we we don't talk enough about that, how those things, because, you know, everyone can see it. If you, if you know, if you had a bad relationship with your dad, you can understand why you had, um, you know, uh, you know, troubled relationships with 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 men or or women, you know, whatever. You can see that connection. But when it comes to the finances, you know, there's an there's an, a good example of this comes up. When you know, many people can grow up in poverty or just struggling. And again, playing out for yourself, playing out for your adult self, things that weren't, that didn't occur in your childhood. And so if you were a person, again, who didn't have a lot, you may spend a lot more of your money on, on outward things to show people because maybe you carried shame from walking around and not having the newest and the latest. And so now that you're an adult, even though it may not be financially responsible for you, even though it may not be in your best interest, you got to make sure that people outside can see that you got it. Even sometime if you don't have it. 
again, feeding the 60 year old, the 10 year old, the teenager self over the adult self. So I just want to encourage you from this podcast to think about your financial relationship, consider what the lessons are. And I would like you to write it down, write down. What did you learn from your parents about money? And be honest. I mean, they're not here. They're not listening to you, right? You can write it down. You don't have to go back and have a conversation with them about it. But what did you learn from them? You know, if your mother was somebody who never paid her bills on time and was always scratching and surviving, what'd you learn from that? You know, if your mother was somebody who, you know, didn't ever work, right? And not because she didn't want to, because she always, you know, wanted to be taken care of by somebody. What'd you learn from that? Where did you, where did you get this idea that you have now about, about money? You know, where did you get the idea about what what you should spend money on and what you shouldn't? You know, one of the greatest lessons my mother ever taught me was always that you keep your home costs down as much as you can, possibly because that will be a flat rate. And and over the course of your life, your income will increase and therefore you'll get more disposable income. But if you keep increasing your home, which is the main cost that you have, your rent or your mortgage, it'll always keep you in a financial bind. She taught me that very young. It's a lesson I carry with me to this day. But... Like, what are those lessons? Write them down and see, do they still make sense to you today? Are they still the things you want to carry today? If they are, check it off, write it, you know, you know, put a star next to it and keep reminding yourself of it. And if there are things that you don't want to continue to do, if there are ways in which you, lessons that you learn from your parents or from whoever raised you that you don't want to keep going in your financial, in your financial situation now, write those down, highlight those and then attempt to change them. Remember, you're dealing with your grown up self now. So you don't need to feed and make feel better your teenage self. You want to do what's responsible now, what's going to make for the best things for you now. You know, it's just like this, right? When you when you were younger and your mother used to say, you know, you can't have dessert until you finish all your food. And now you're grown and you can eat cake for breakfast if you want to. Who's going to stop you? Who's going to check you, right? But do you eat cake for breakfast every morning? No, you may eat cake for breakfast once, but you don't do it every morning. Because you know better. You know that that don't make no damn sense. Right? First of all, you probably don't have cake around every morning. And even if you did, you wouldn't want to actually do that. You just want the freedom to be able to do that. So the one day you may get up, it might be the day after your birthday, there was cake. You get up, you eat the cake for breakfast. No one's going to stop you. But you stop yourself from continuing to do that every morning. And that's the same way with your finances. So yeah, should you should you go out and overindulge yourself once? You can. Should you do it all the time? No. And you know you shouldn't. So be the same way that you would be about the cake. You don't need to eat cake every morning just to prove that you can. Because it doesn't make sense. You don't need to spend all your money up. You don't need to to buy all these things to prove a point about something that happened when you were young. Because it doesn't make sense. Just like eating cake for breakfast every morning. It doesn't make sense. It won't make you feel good. And it will not prove, it will not change what happened and it will not prove any points in the future. We all know you're grown. You know you're grown. You can do whatever you want. But when you know better, you should 100% do better. So that's how we're going to wrap up today. Thank you so much for joining me on another podcast. Look out for the podcast with the guests on the males and their perspective on money, relationships, and dating. I'm still looking for guests to be on the podcast to discuss um, your financial um, financial situations you've been through and how you've come through. 
and also looking for anyone who'd like to take kind of like a, a podcast where we'll do some live advice you come with what issues you may have and I can give you the feedback on the podcast so I'm still looking for um, guests for those two episodes so if you if you're interested hit me on the DM on, on Instagram financial emancipation hit me hit me up on um, email Malik M-A-L-I-E-K at the financial emancipation dot com thank you so much for joining me today and I hope you'll be back as I continue to discuss the ways in which you can walk towards your financial emancipation getting free from the burden of your finances have a great day